Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, here today as your host. The library of all of the episodes, beginning from September 2019, can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk and can be found on popular podcast platforms. The show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. For those listeners who are in what I call SOS mode, stress, overwhelmed, and stretched, I'll be launching a new free caregiver distress recovery challenge in the upcoming months, helping caregivers find a path to bringing much needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, my registered trademark, which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter and teaches strategies from my proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness. Strategies that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. You'll be able to find information on the course once you click on the link for the free book offer on the Seniors Straight Talk host page. That link is www.freeagingparentbook.com. You can also find information on the homepage of my website, phyllisamonassociates.com by clicking on that same link, freeagingparentbook.com. Once you grab the copy of Dignity and Respect, it will take you to a page to find information on the Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving course and the valuable free bonuses that go along with it. My latest book chapter in WTF to OMG with a little LOL, Unpacking Life's Hidden Lessons was released July 19th on Amazon. It features my story about personal responsibility and self-care that led me to the work I do today. I'm honored to be a featured co-author alongside two-time Wall Street Journal best-selling author, David Corbin, as well as many others. The ebook is now available on Amazon, but the paperback will be available in the weeks ahead. My previous book chapter released May 17th in Think Big is also available on Amazon. It's my story, my big vision about my projects aimed at older adults and the value they have in our lives and in society. I'm honored to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy, entrepreneur Bob Bodine, and many others. 
The book is published by Kyle Wilson, president of Jim Rohn International. So I hope you'll grab a copy of these books on Amazon. The many stories included in both books can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. You can also get the paperback for Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve on Amazon. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes and assisted living residences around the country. I'm honored that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for, for the book. So I hope you'll get a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. Your support is greatly appreciated. And I hope you'll spread the word on this all important topic. Seniors Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Seniors Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, who was a guest on Senior Straight Talk a few weeks ago as co-author of the book, Broken Promises, about the failure of the Veterans Administration in providing adequate services to veterans with PTSD. But today, Jerry Stravey is here sharing his personal journey from his harsh upbringing to his military experience in marriage to the realization that the difference he always felt inside was actually related to his homosexuality. He shares his divorce and journey as a gay man in the senior years of his life. Jerry also has been caring for a daughter with special needs and he talks about the challenges, but the important lessons caring for his daughter has represented in his life and to his personal development. It is indeed a compelling story and I'm sure that many listeners will be able to relate to it. So I'm proud to bring Jerry Stravey to the listeners of Senior Straight Talk. So Jerry, I'm so glad to have you here with me again today on Senior Straight Talk. The last time um, you were here with your co-author of your book, Broken Promises, but mm -hmm. we've connected uh, beyond that around a totally different subject. And um, it's a subject that I think is very important. I'm so thrilled that you felt comfortable enough to reach out to me about it. And I'm, I'm proud to be able to bring this to the listeners. So uh, this is about uh, your own personal journey uh, from the military and your marriage to you know the, the life that you lead now. So nice. why don't you talk about that a little bit? Okay. Well, it's a lifetime, so it's hard to talk a little bit, you know. <laughs> I'll give I'll give it my best shot. How's that? That sounds so, great. Okay, so I've, I've essentially, um, I want to kind of lay the foundation about my life, and I was a military um, uh, brat, if you want to call it, Navy junior, whatever. My father was a naval fighter pilot, and so before I got, I went to college. I went to nine different schools, anywhere between uh, Hawaii and Rhode Island. So, oh wow. Um, not a whole lot of opportunity to settle down, make friends, uh, have, have a good foundation. Some people do really well with that, uh, moving around like that, like every two years. But because of 
before I was six years old, there was some really, really tumultuous times in the family and my parents ended up divorced and uh, not good stuff. Um, and then my father remarried. So then I went, to went away to college and I majored in party. I, got <laughs> I love that. You know, it yeah. took me a second to process that when you said. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had a very strict upbringing and rather protected. And so when I went away from home, it was like Katie bar the door. Okay. I had saved enough money to pay for my college for two years of it. And I figured I'd keep working, you know, in college and get the rest of it. But within six months, I went through the, all the money I'd saved. Oh my goodness. I guess you really were partying. Well, you have yes. a degree in partying. I mean, you can <laughs> leverage that in some Graduate, way. graduate degree partying. <laughs> Pick a very fast learner. And so uh, anyway, ended up uh, three years into college, hadn't done really much college work. Um, I decided it was time to change majors. So uh, I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I enlisted in the Marine Corps, just you know, I needed disability. Okay. And it, and it worked out well. I eventually uh, what they call Mustanged up. I was commissioned as an officer in the Marine Corps. That was cool. And I was married. I married a woman in the meantime, and we had three children, one of them special needs. As a matter of fact, we picked up four children in 54 weeks. June our old, of 82, our oldest was born. January of 83, a niece came to live with us. And June of 83, we had twins. Oh my goodness. So instant family. And anyway, Long story short, raised the kids. Um, they went off to college. I moved to California. And uh, we, well, my, my wife and our special needs daughter moved to California and San Diego. And uh, six years later, we separated and then were divorced. And that's the outline. But the, that's the outline of the story. So right. I'm glad in a way you said it that way as an outline because... And you're a storyteller, you're an, an author and a, uh, a novelist, which we'll cover in our next conversation because okay. that's a whole okay. other thing. But there's an, uh, an important undercurrent to this story that is really the basis of how we kind of connected, you know, after our last conversation. Right. And that's right. really important for this, um, for listeners to understand. So right. talk about that. Okay, so I'm not sure. There's so many different things, elements we can talk about it. And I know your target audience are seniors, okay? I'm a senior and getting more senior every minute. Um, we all are. <laughs> but so a little bit of background. I suspect that I was different and I couldn't had no clue what different meant. Again, I had a very protected, isolated background. I was probably 13 years old and I figured, hmm, something's up here. You know, I'm different than everybody else. And uh, because I was different and we hadn't really identified it, what, what it was, I did not have a lot of friends. I didn't have a lot of people that I could confide with. And I was pretty much, for all intents and purposes, estranged from members of my family and it was just because I was different right I did not know what it was I tried to be as 
what is the word? What is the word? I tried to be as normal as possible. I tried to affect my behavior and things that I did, but I just didn't have the same interest or the same motivations. Um, and I believe my stepmother knew early on that I was gay. Mm-hmm. She never shared it with me. I'll never remember. I'll never forget a remark she made one time. She said, instead of getting married, why don't you just be an uncle? You'd make a great uncle. Oh, that's interesting. I had no clue what she's talking about. I was like right. 16 or 17 years old. And I said, well, God, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a perfect, you know, beaver cleaver family. Right. <laughs> right. So why would she, why would she, uh, I thought kind of disrespect me or minimize me as a person. Okay. Right. I had no idea what she was talking about. Of course, we never had that discussion ever in our life, but once hmm. that did not end well. So um, I went off to college and um, d- during those party classes, <laughs> I um, met this guy, had a relationship and I finally figured out, whoa, this is why I'm different. Well, back then, this is like in the seventies, uh, early seventies, you couldn't be gay and survive in a normal way in life. And I wanted the normal family. I wanted to be in the Marine Corps and be in a Marine Corps officer. I wanted to, I just wanted everything nice and family, white picket fence, the whole bit. So I hid it. Mm. I did tell my girlfriend, my future fiance and my future wife that I was gay or bisexual, I suppose would be the term then. And she and I both, I didn't want to be gay. Who the heck wants to be gay? I mean, that's not a choice. That's not a choice. Let me tell right. you that right now. Right. Okay. So, and we were also told then, you know, you could go through therapy and you get over it or it was a phase. I said, okay, great. Let's do that. You know, right. let's get over it. Right. <laughs> All right. 30 years later. Okay. Okay. So uh, we were married for 30 years. We had a very, very good marriage and it was good. We had a team and a lot of that team was formed by the fact we have a special needs daughter and the whole family worked together on that. Okay. So um, in 2006, we separated, we were divorced in 2007. Another shock. You remember when I transformed for protected environment to college? Oh my God, 53 years old, you're now gay. It's like a kid in a candy store. Ah. Once again, yahoo, you know, let's go, right? So that, gosh, that's 19 years ago. So anyway, um, I went through the process of learning what it's like to be gay, but I want to back up a little bit and tell, talk a little bit about, I lived 53 years, well, not all 50 years, but it wasn't until the 53 years that I found out really what my, what the situation was all about when I came out. Not that I didn't know, I was learning in the process, but I was hiding. Right. Before you go further, I want to, there's, there's something that you said to me when we talked about this. Um, and I hope you don't mind me sharing it, but it made such an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And I just want people to think about what that might feel like. Um, and you said you felt like, you know, hiding was like having a toxic soul. Exactly. Uh is any, I know your viewers, and we've all known of or even had ourselves something that we were ashamed of, something that we were feared that other people finding out about. I mean, 
you know, we're not talking like a pimple or, or something like that. We're talking <laughs> about, you know, big stuff, okay? Right. Or a cold sore. I mean, it's like your character. It, well, you, you're fearful that your character will be attacked or that maybe your character is bad and you don't want anybody to know. That's okay? true. When you hide something, when you are deceiving or feel that you're deceiving because that's what you will be told you're doing. Your self-esteem is not exactly being fortified, okay? And you're preoccupied all the time using uh, your energy, physiological, be it, meta, be it medical, I mean, mental, be it um, physical or combination. Your soul is being depleted and it's certainly not growing. You know, you hope as you move forward and you, uh, as a person, and you learn about life and you get to appreciate others, that you'll become better. Well, certainly you do, but you cannot possibly become all that you can be if you hide something. Right. If you are fearful, physically fearful. You got to remember when I was going through all this stuff, people were being killed because they were gay. Right. All right. So you can't thrive. And when you're not thriving, that's a poison. And you're being diminished. So I would say that's the toughest thing and the hardest thing to have to have to deal with. And in a way, when I finally came to terms with the concept, I was almost in a panic, like, I got to catch up. Mm, interesting. I got to find out, okay, what is inside me or what is part of me that will make me a better person, can make me a better person? What can I do to give back to society with what talents or gifts or possibilities that are God-given that I haven't tapped? Just bizarre position to be in. Hmm. I think, I think that um, you coming to terms with this um, kind of fulfills that. Or, or did, did you think that coming to terms with that and speaking openly about it will fulfill that? Or as you're doing it, you've real, you're realizing that the value that this can be for so many people, because I'm sure there are listeners out there some of whom may have these feelings inside or have a family member or a loved one or know somebody who's struggling even nowadays, um, even though it's accepted and there's marriage equality, although that's um, you know, in a fragile state right now, I think. Um, but um, I think you're, you're giving a, you know, an insight into what it feels like to be in that position. And, you know, if you're not in that position, you don't know. So this Ellis, is I think you hit the nail on the head. I believe that's what is one of the biggest motivating factors behind my becoming an author late in life. Because the first book I published addressed many of these things, First Spouse of the United States. Hmm. And um, it's a powerful book. And it addresses many of the issues that I experienced growing up, but in a fictional novel and well, you know, 
really great characters and stuff like that. You know, I have a vivid imagination and I just want to share it. So, you know, and then I, I also uh, wrote, a, I'm writing a series of book called Braxton Century, which takes these same issues back into the 1860s and carries them forward. Huh, interesting. Very interesting. So in all my books, I have a purpose to share a message that I think is important that can help everyone, not just people who are dealing with being gay or hiding or anything, but anybody who's dealing with any issues which they might have to work with. And it's, uh, I think, the, again, the reason I write is to catch up and share things, perhaps to be helpful. Hmm. Yeah, I think that um, that's certainly a, a great motivator, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, even though I, I'm thinking that you know, my experience is nothing like what you're talking about. Oh, totally unrelated, but um, I have this sense about catching up, um, which has nothing to do, as I say, with what you're talking about. And I don't mean to trivialize what your experience is or compare it in any way, but, um, you know, I, I was pushed ahead in school many, you know, several times. And so I was always much younger than everyone else. And yep. um, it wasn't until I was in my 30s, I think, that I felt mm -hmm. I was kind of catching up emotionally because I wasn't in the emotional place where I needed to be to be in those situations with people two and three years older than I was, like when I was 13. Yeah. With people that are 16 and 17 and you know whatever and so um i have somewhat of an understanding of trying to catch up because like i said it wasn't until my 30s that i really felt like i emotionally i was catching up to where i should be emotionally mm -hmm. to where i was chronologically well that's a great point because I've been feeling like I've been catching up socially because I got her off to a rough start. I wasn't prepared at all to go to college. I just wanted the heck out of that house. You know, you know, I went out and worked. I went out and saved the money. I went out and made the application to college. My kids, my parents didn't even know I made application to college when I got accepted. That's how removed that situation was. And, and it wasn't a lower, so, you know, it was a, re, it was an upper middle-class household, you know, so I was isolated because who I was, but it was really good training too, being isolated growing up because it prepared me for a lot of things in life when I realized I was gay and hiding it, okay? Right. So I, I, I never really had to depend on any one individual or individuals uh, um, to be content as I could be, you know, whatever his content is, uh, because I'd always had to learn to be on my own uh, and weird, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, now that it's, we're in a situation now that it's okay to be out, you gotta remember most of my life, 90% of my experiences have been in the straight world. Huh. People would have no idea that I am gay unless I share that with them, all right? Right. So here I am, a gay guy who's used to being around straight people, but now I'm mostly, socially around the gay uh group and i don't totally fit in there either right because you don't know what that what that experience is or what that behavior is supposed to be like what's yes, expected and i raised a family 
right. raised a family in a straight right. world, spent most of my life. And so my values um, and my interests are more closely aligned with other gay men that were married and other gay men that may have had children. Interesting. You know, and so as we go into our senior years, right in the middle of them, actually, um, that's a different dilemma, too, because there are organizations out there that you might want to use for retirement. They don't welcome gays. I'll be real honest with you. One of the biggest challenges we're having right now in the, in, in the gay world now is finding finding places that you know that will truly embrace having gays in there. They'll say they don't, but we're finding that gays are being surreptitiously discriminated against hmm. by these many of these facilities. So, In fact, I, I was on a committee that actually put together a retirement community for gays. That's how strong our concerns are for this um, discrimination and ill treatment. So that's interesting. So I want to take a break now because when we come back, I have some insights about that that I want to share because I do come from the long-term care space. So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk sponsored by Phyllis Amon Associates. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk, sponsored by Phyllis Amon Associates. And I'm here again with Jerry Stravey. And we're having this phenomenal conversation, um, a very personal one. And I, I'm proud to, to bring this to the listeners about his personal journey from being in the Marine Corps to being married and then finally coming to the realization about his, his identity as a gay man and what that journey has been like. But when we left, right before we went to break, uh, Jerry, you said something about um, retirement communities. And my experience, as most listeners know, I come from the long-term care space, is that at least in, let's say the last few years, there's, a tre there's tremendous momentum to um, accommodate people who are gay, you know, LBGTQ, to accommodate those people, to address their needs. Um, it's about person-centered caring, uh, not to discriminate. So I'm interested to hear your perspective about this because mine has been from the other side of it. Well, I certainly can understand why you have the perspective you have, because it is very true. A lot had a lot of effort 
or that a lot of perceived effort has been going into welcoming the LGBT community. And certainly that has been more as a result of owners uh, and management in these long-term care facilities or retirement communities realizing that the LGBT community, there, is, there are a lot of dollars there in part of the community and they can, many of them can afford the care. Now, granted, like any other demographic, there's a huge number that cannot and don't have the luxury communities, if you will. But yes, and I don't want to call, for the lack of a better word, a lot of it is lip service. Yeah. Let's bring the dollars in. If you're gay, whatever, who cares? Dollars are dollars they spend. The problem is, when they actually get there, you're going to find age-old prejudices still very apparent in the straight community that are the clients or the residents and in the care, those providing care, okay? Especially, I just wanna interject that there are uh, many caregivers are from other countries which, and those people come with their own set of preconceived notions about uh, what it means to be a gay man or a lesbian woman or, you know, whatever the identity is. Very big problem with that because that means they don't respect or honor their clients, which is big in a lot of these cultures. And if you don't respect or honor your client, you don't have to treat them as well. Okay. So I don't want to belabor the point. People can figure it out. They don't get to sit. A lot of the LGBT community don't get the same care or same quality care uh, from the um, people who are supposed to be providing the care. And they are isolated from residents, other residents. Okay. And it's all very subtle. So it's already rough enough aging out and feeling alone and by yourself. And you're, you hope to go to a community and maybe make some friends, blah, 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 blah. That's not necessarily true. And it's, there is, it's all these preconceived ideas about what a gay is. And some of them are still stuck on this idea that they think AIDS is contagious by just sitting next to somebody. Get out. They will avoid them. Caregivers and residents well, they treat them like they treat, they'll treat a gay person as a, a pariah because scared to death they might sneeze on them and they'll get AIDS. Get, get out, that can't be. Really? Big problem, big perception. There huh. are healthcare givers that feel this way. Interesting. That's so it's problem. interesting when you said about paying lip service because, so I brought up person-centered caring, right? I wrote an article years ago uh, maybe about two years ago, that person-centered care is more than a buzzword because it's the same idea, not just about people that are, are gay, but, um, but are, are people really meeting the needs of adults in especially long-term care nursing homes um, in a way that's really person-centered caring? And it's really not. It's like a checkoff. Oh, we did this. We did that. We find that we found out Mabel likes to wear her red sweater at dinner, and you know Sherman only likes strawberry ice cream. But that's that's not person-centered caring, right? So it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, and one of the inherent problems is, as a gay man, I was growing up in the worst times 
for right. uh, gay people. So my peers that I find in these facilities were there too, okay? Right. And a lot of them have just had to, on the surface, acquiesce to the LGBT community being come, become more accepting. So it's almost like the fox guarding the chicken house hmm. because the, the feelings they have, they're subtle, but they're very painful. Hmm. And as an older person, you just don't have sometimes the metal, the reserve or the strength. And I believe, and I, this is just a personal feeling that many in the LGBT community end up in some of these care centers and begin to die hmm. because of the depression that they enter realizing it, it's, it's not gonna get better. Do, do you think that um, they that people are open about their sexual orientation when they go to these places, or do you think they feel like they did years ago that this is something they still have to hide? It depends on the person. Uh, some people will be open about no matter what. They will. They'll just you know it's part of the badge they wear because they went through so much and suffered so much getting accepted in society and, you know, sacrificed so much. So they'll never give it up and they're willing to accept the consequences of wearing their uh, homosexuality on their sleeves, okay? Hmm. Then there are others who are afraid right. and will never divulge the fact that they are gay. And because of that, in many situations, they inadvertently isolate themselves because they're hiding something. And people feel that. And they kind of stay away from someone who is, they feel secretive. Correct. Absolutely. Catch 22, right? Yeah, absolutely. So just moving on from here, because you mentioned um, that you had a special needs daughter mm -hmm. and because you know, as someone who's been a healthcare professional, as a speech and language pathologist, I and I did work with children at one point and teenagers and spent, of course, most of my career working with older adults. But, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Um, because I, I think you had told me at one point that you were the sole caregiver for her. Is that correct? No, I must have um, used the wrong words because I, I was never at the sole caregiver. I was a 24 hour caregiver. Oh, uh, 24, okay, that my mistake, 24 hour caregiver, right, correct. Um, okay, so this is very interesting that you bring this up because I just drew a parallel in my head, here we go. Um, Vicky is her name. And when Vicky was born, I was in the operating room, delivery room, and my wife at the time and I thought we were having twins, but the doctors at the medical facility, which I won't mention by name, just told us we didn't know what we're talking about. I had seen the sonogram and I thought, and this was our second pregnancy, I thought I saw two in there and I insisted that I saw two. So again, 
they didn't have any respect for my opinion. But the problem was she was in her seventh month of pregnancy and was going into labor. And that's not unusual for twins, by the way. Correct. And then she went into, they tried to stop the labor. They gave her the medication. I can't remember what it was. Gosh, this was 39 years ago. Um, and she went into tachycardia with a heartbeat of 300 one night. Oh, shoot. I, have ta- I used to have tachycardia, so I know what that's about. Yeah. And so anyway, I wasn't having any of that. So I could tell the medicine was just killing her. I literally walked into the a room that she was in, disconnected everything they tied up to her, carried her out of the hospital. Oh, my goodness. I drove her home. And she was not totally with it at all. I, she couldn't walk or anything like that. I just carried her out. 12 hours later, after the medicine had gotten out of her system, she was up making dinner. Oh, my goodness. At home. She carried the ba- babies for four more weeks. We went in into delivery. And I knew, immediate, I knew um, immediately when uh, Vicky came out, there was something wrong. I just sensed it. And I told the doctors and the nurses in the room, check her, there's something wrong. They checked her, said nothing's wrong. And then, surprise, surprise, when they were looking for the afterbirth, out popped her sister. Oh, my goodness. It was a great group, huh? Yeah. Oh, so geez. this was in June of 82. You can't make this stuff up. June of 83, actually. Yeah. In June of 83, this is in June of 83. And so in March of 84, they told her, that us that uh, Vicky would be a vegetable and that we just needed to institutionalize her. And That's so what they said then, by the way, to a lot mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. Well, for, for whatever reason, I don't know why, uh, that just wasn't going to work for me. And it certainly wasn't going to work for my wife. Everybody told us we were fools for keeping her. Well, you know, fool's errand, I guess. So they told us she'd never walk, she'd never talk, never sit up, you know, any of that. Our family told us to institutionalize her and um, we didn't do it. And today, 39 years later, she, while well, she's nonverbal, and still has some physical limitations. She can walk if she has to. She knows who we are and she can feed herself and basically has well, two and a half, three year, year old mentality, but she's not a vegetable. Right. But most importantly, what she brought to the family was values. She brought love, compassion compassion she made me a better person caring for her i would not be the person i am today for better or for worse uh, <laughs> without having had the opportunity to live a life with my wife and her sisters caring for her right as infants the oldest would crawl up the stairs and bring down diapers to change when we had our hands full with the twins. Right. Okay. I mean, it, it, it was like having five babies because you 
you had to do everything, you know, right, and right, we were right. so close together. But then we went through the things of dealing with different therapies, teaching how to walk, water boards, uh, not water boards, standing boards, spending time teaching her to swim, she taught her how to swim. Can you believe that? And um, with lack of use of one arm, she can still swim. Cool, huh? And limited use of one leg. So all these things we learned, though, as people, we became stronger. We became a team. We, uh, her sisters were taught along with her mother and I how to put others and other situations first. For themselves. Yeah. And so I wish I was more articulate in being able to explain this. But the human the good the good that is the humanity in man was given to me and uh, without that situation i don't, wouldn't have the quality of life and as i do as a, i wouldn't have the compassion or caring or understanding empathy um that i have i think that's incredible and listen there are Many people out there caring for uh, whether it's a, a, a child or, you know, a spouse or a parent, right? Um, that it, it can be frustrating. I'm sure it wasn't all, you know, peaches and cream. There were frustrating times. There were difficult times, tremendous challenges. Let me tell you, my you wife and I did not have a complete night sleep for the first 14 years of her life i i can imagine yeah so that's just the top of the thing it was tough it's very tough. it is very tough and i think that um but it does do you think that um having been in the marines helped you um with resilience and being able to approach this situation in a certain way um you know, just like forward thinking, like march onward, a task that needs to be done. Um, I don't know, am I saying it the right way? Yes, I think you are, definitely. Um, I believe that early on as a kid, very young kid before age six, there was a time when um, I was essentially abandoned. My brother and my sister and I were, and I had to forage for food for the three of us because of some situations that happened. So I think I learned early on the survival thing, okay? And then I think being um, ostracized from society and somewhat from the family growing up, just learn to do it, cope and move forward. Uh, and I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't end up on drugs and, and in the, on a curb of the street. There were people along the way that really did love and cherish me unconditionally. Okay, I have to admit that every now and then I had those pockets of that, right? So I guess because of that experience, it was axiomatic for me to care for my children. Mm -hmm. I was ready. I really didn't learn anything about sticking with it, charging forward in the Marine Corps. I'd already figured it out before I got there. Mm. You know, it, it was something that was easy for me uh, along those lines. Um, I had learned survival before I ever got to the Marine Corps. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I have, I was only in a pseudo caregiving situation in, in terms of someone in my family for a period of 
a couple of weeks when I was a teenager. I write about it. It's, it's I believe, a, a through line to how I got to a nursing home. Um, but having, I saw my mother, however, do it. So I, I have a sense of it through her, what that experience was like. Um, and of course I've worked with, you know, I calculated the other day with a friend, actually she helped me calculate that I've spent over 40,000 hours working with thousands of families and residents in long-term wow. care. Uh, so I, I have it from that perspective, but it's different when it's your main responsibility and there's, there's no getting away from it and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I know there are lots of caregivers now that struggle with that. You know, they, it's part of what we call the sound, they're part of what we call the sandwich generation. They're sandwiched between their job responsibilities, their family responsibilities, and their responsibilities as a caregiver, whether it's for an older parent or a spouse who's suffered some situation or, or even maybe a, a child. So um, those are particularly difficult situations, but uh, it can, I think it has, can be, there are two sides to that coin. It can bring people together, but it can also break them apart. What do you think? You know, 75% of the people who have special needs children get divorced. Interesting. You know, and, a lot of it just has to be some people are just totally not equipped for that situation. And I understand it and I accept it. I just happen to be one of those people and my wife at the time, one of those people that we weren't that way. We, we were wired different. And not that it was easy. I'm going to tell you. It wasn't easy. Sometimes it, it was horrific. And sometimes you said, and you did things and you just wanted to slap yourself. Why did I react that way? Right. So I had to learn early on to forgive yourself and try to do better the next time. That was a very big learning experience to accept the fact that um, you have the frailties and, but that that's not who you are. That right. may be a situation in which you didn't act with the way, what you would like to do, but accept the fact you are human and that you have the opportunity to now to make it better, you know, move right. on and do, and, and do the right thing. And it was part of very helpful foundation for me getting to finally, at some point in my life, love me for who I am. Hmm. I sat, I would, I'd look, I'd look back and I took inventory. I said, you know, I'm not that bad person that I think I am after all those years of rejection, all those, you know, all, this, all the situations we went through, realized, you know what? I'm not that person they say I am. Hmm. Interesting. I'm sure a lot of people go through that and oh, yeah. that self-discovery and mm -hmm. coming to that is so important at whatever age you do it. But it's like, it's almost like a light bulb you know, goes, you gotta love yourself. Yeah, I agree. And it's not, it's not easy, especially if you've gone through a well, variety nobody of else loves you. Right. Exactly. No, if so everybody else is telling you how messed up you are, right. And how you didn't do this right. And how you should do this. And you should do that. Unconditional love is what there's one thing that I would impress on. If mankind had unconditional love, it doesn't mean you have to accept the stuff that's and, and uh, 
try to justify bad things that people do. But if you can unconditionally love them, you release a great burden from within yourself where you're not taking responsibilities for their actions. You're only loving them. And sometimes that loving them means that you have boundaries. But if you love them, you will generate more energy from within to be helpful to them and yourself. In so it's case. interesting that you say that uh, because there's someone I know and um, sometimes uh, things happen that are, I shouldn't say happen or don't happen and I find them annoying or whatever. And um, someone- That's half the planet, isn't it? Right. Someone said something to me very wise uh, and what he said was, so just think of it as if this person had a wart or you know, uh, some situation, um, an illness or something. I mean, this is, I mean, it's not the end of the world. This is this person's peculiarity or characteristic or how they function. And it might not be the greatest for you. And it, it, it's, it can be problematic at times, but accept them for, okay, that's, that's their, you know, that's their wart. That's their, I don't want to call it a downfall. That's their peculiarity. And just right. move on from there because if, otherwise you're taking it in on yourself. Um, right. And right. that's negative energy. And I, it's kind of just what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, if we could all be that uh, wise, just think how better the world would be. I really have to judge myself in that perspective. I love that. It's so it's such a challenge. And it is a challenge. It's such a challenge sometimes. Absolutely. You know? Why are you making me a mean person? Why do I have to put up with your stuff? Right. <laughs> you know, I want to be nicer, but you won't let me. <laughs> exactly. So how about um how about um you know, I just told somebody this morning about being your own friend. I, I talk about it as part of this program that I have, this course mm -hmm. in, in self-care and self-compassion and self-forgiveness um, um, about being your own best friend. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, think of what you'd say to a friend in that situation. And uh, you can even write it down and then say it to yourself because self-love is the basis of all love. Yeah. So I have another something I want to share with you. I hope I can um, share this and it comes across the way I want it to come across. I'm going to give it a big try, but it really helps a lot. Okay. We know we're not in control of other people's actions. All right. We know we're not in control of other people's actions. We can only be in control of our own. Correct. But by the okay. same token, we are human beings and we to some degree, internalize everything we see to some degree, all right? And sometimes people will be doing things that um, we don't like or irritates the self. Well, there's, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, and, I've, and your view, many, most of your viewers are familiar with this, but I like to remind myself that I have this little thing that I can say sometimes that helps. In the South, there's a saying, when someone does something that someone doesn't like or comes across as dumb or as inconsiderate or just plain in their opinion stupid they'll go oh bless their little heart yes i've heard that expression okay right. now bless their little heart 
has saved me so many times because I'm thinking, all right, they can't help this, you know, right. or if they can't help this, they don't have whatever it takes to make other choices and I'm not responsible. So in my head, I just find it all, oh, bless her little heart. Right. I love you know, that. I like this. And I know it's kind of a little bit of arrogant and judgmental, but you know what? We got to have something to hold on to to make through it before we do something worse. I agree. I love it. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to remember that. I, I'm going to remember that as a takeaway. If somebody says, what was your takeaway from the conversation with Jerry? That's one of the nuggets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bless their little heart. I love it. <laughs> And that is an expression in the South. I've heard it many times, right? Yeah, yeah. And so. Well, Jerry, this has been terrific. And I, and I really appreciate your willingness to be transparent and open and, and share your heart. You did on, on a, the last episode, we had two really, um, uh, you know, um, in a way when you talked about some of the experiences um, associated with, um, with your book, Broken Promises. And so I, uh, not everyone is comfortable being transparent and vulnerable that way. And I, I just really not only applaud you, but appreciate you. And, um, you know, off this recording, I've shared, it, you've touched me in such a way that I felt comfortable sharing some of my most mm -hmm. vulnerable personal experiences. And oh, thank you. And that, that always helps a person grow so i yeah it helps you. all of us you know the transparency you're talking about yeah, it helps yeah. all of us it can be therapeutic for yourself but don't overdo the therapy don't talk about yourself <laughs> but and listen right you have two ears one mouth right exactly. some proportionally so yeah and i and i appreciate the opportunity to be here and speak on your show because it helps me clarify and fine-tune and makes me a better writer. I can communicate better. And we are going to have another episode where we're going to talk mm -hmm. about your writing and your books because um, I don't want to share too much about that, but um, it's so important for me to encourage people to pursue their passions if they feel they have a deep-seated uh, yeah. you know, passion or talent or something they want to say that's important for them to share that message. But we won't, we won't talk about that now. But okay. Thanks so much, Jerry. I really appreciate. I know you have a very busy schedule, so thanks for taking the time. And please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations of the, for the senior years of our lives. And I'm Phyllis Amon signing off for today. Please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.